message. I'm really, really excited. God just gave me, a, I think, a very special word for this week. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called, And the Truth Will Set You Free. And I believe the Lord is highlighting a truth that we all need to know this morning that will lead us into freedom. So wherever you're at, whether you're on your couch or in, in your kitchen, in your room, if you would just take a moment and just let's ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to receive the word this morning. I really believe that if we do that, uh, God will have more uh, room and more freedom to move. It's all about submission. When we invite Jesus into our life, it's about us surrendering to him. So that's what we're going to do right now. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just invite you into every home. Father, we invite you into, this, into our auditorium, the few of us who are here. God, those who are watching, whether they're watching live or they're watching later on, Father, we, we just invite you into our temples and we ask for your will to be done. God, we need you. We need you. We can't do anything without you. We can't do one thing without you, Father, and we just surrender to you, and we ask for your will to be done in us, Father. Help us to remember the reason that we're celebrating today, and that's because you died on the cross a long time ago, but just a few days later, you rose from the dead, and you gave us victory over death, hell, and the grave. We just honor you this Easter 2020. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, what I want to do this morning is, after I finished last week's sermon, the Lord gave me um, just a little bit more information, and I want, so I want to review and add a few things, and then I want to share a word that I believe the Lord wants us to focus on this morning. And so, the title of this series is, And the Truth Will Set You Free. We get this uh, title from a passage in John 8, and, and it's going to show up on the screen. It's John eight thirty one, and this is how it goes. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, he's talking to some, some Jews, um, just some, back, just some um, history. He's talking to some Jews who were Jews, who were descendant from Abraham. They were part of um, the, God's people, but they weren't acting like, like God's people. And therefore, Jesus, if we continue to read, we see that Jesus said, hey, yes, you have the bloodline. You look like your descendants, but you're not acting like him. Therefore, you're not really sons of God. You're sons of the devil. They thought they were children of God, but found out that they weren't. He's, Jesus said, if you listen to me, that is, if you abide in my word, which we're going to come back to that in just a minute, your eyes will be open because right now you're blind. This is the point of this series, and I felt really strongly a couple weeks ago that we needed to begin to learn, to know, and understand how important it is to know the word of God. We're, we're dealing with the coronavirus. I, I, I sense, and maybe y'all do too, how things have kind of settled down. Maybe people are not as panicked. Uh, somebody, one of my friends was on Instagram the other day, and he was uh, po uh, posting on a story how there was um, toilet paper in the grocery stores finally. And so I, I sense things are coming down, but this is the, one of the reasons we've been fasting and praying is to pray against the spirit of fear that has come into our, our nations, into some of our lives. And so when we know God's truth, we can combat the lies of the enemy. If you're just, just recapping, fear is a tactic of the enemy to get you to believe lies about God. What does fear say? I might not be okay. And, and if we fear enough, we, we do something about it. We, get, we, we, we uh, take action. And so fear is um, a tactic for us to not to believe a lie about God. But what's the truth about God? We don't have to fear anything. God, God is going to protect us and, and, and care for us in every situation. And so that's why it's important to know the Word of God, because the Word of God is full of, of truths to help us fight every lie that comes along. I don't, ha I don't have time to go back into all the points. And I really wanted to, as I was preparing, I really, this, this sermon has just been heavy on my heart. But go ahead and go back uh, last week or the week before and listen to, some of, um, listen to some of these messages. 
I want to look, though, at John 8.31. It says, if you abide in my word, um, you are truly my disciples, and then you'll know the truth. The key to us knowing God's truth is to abide in his word. And so you, we actually find this word abide a few chapters later in John 15. So if you uh, have your Bible, you can, you can look with me. John 15, uh, 4 and 5 says this. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. Hold on real quick. He says we've got to abide in him. Just like a, a branch cannot produce fruit by itself unless it's, it's connected to a tree, he says you're not going to be able to either. Verse 5. He says, I am the vine. He just gave this analogy of a, of a branch and a vine, a tree. And he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so we see this concept of abiding uh, kind of illustrated with a, with a branch, with branches. We are the branches and a tree, which the, the Word of God talks about a vine, which is a type of tree. And, and Jesus is saying, unless you abide in me, you're not going to be able to do anything. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, how are we supposed to abide in him and consequently in the Word? Think about a tree. If, if we cut off a branch, unless we somehow, I'm not a, I'm not a tree expert, I'm not a, a gardener or anything, which I love, I love um, flowers, I love gardens, and maybe one day I can do that. Um, but I would think that if you cut off a branch from a tree, uh, it's going to die very quickly. And Jesus is saying that we are to abide in him that much all the time. And therefore, going back to John, uh, to John 8, we're to abide in the word that much. So if we're going to Jesus is using this mental picture and he's asking, he's telling us, you have to get in God's word to where it looks like you're a branch connected to a tree. I just want to ask you, what is your, uh, what is your time with the Lord look like? And specifically, what does your time in God's word look like? Does it look like a branch that is connected to a tree, that is connected to a vine? Or does it look, look most times like a tree, like a branch that's been cut off from the tree? Jesus is, he makes a promise. He says, if you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. That's a promise all the time. And I can tell you it works when you abide in him. Um, I've learned to begin to read the Bible and pray, but I haven't always been that way. There was a time, though, when I was younger, when I did a 10-day fast. And I fasted um, pretty much all food. And I fasted 10 days, just liquids. And it was during, I fasted because I was going through a lot in that season in my life, and I really needed God to speak. I can, I can honestly tell you, after a few days and, and towards the end of the fast, I was on cloud nine. And if I were to tell you some of the things I was going through, there would be no reason, um, um, there would be no logic to why I was feeling this way. But the, what, was, what was actually happening during those 10 days is I was abiding in him. I've seen it, church. If, we want, if you feel lost, if you feel confused, if you feel depressed, we have to learn to abide in him. You might say, being a Christian is hard. I, trust me, it is hard. And it'll be hard whether you abide in him or not. But here's the difference. You can live two ways. You're, you can be a Christian, but you can live two ways. You can abide in him or not abide in him. What's the difference? The difference is fruit. This is really interesting, but did you know the fruit you produce is not just meant to be seen by the other people around you, whether it's your family, other believers and non-believers, and that's one of the reasons we are to, to abide in him, so we can produce fruit that prove that there is a God in heaven. But did you know that, what is the main reason in the natural that, we, that the trees produce fruit? It's for us to eat. Did you know that when you abide in him, you can produce the spiritual fruit that you need? 
What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As I said that list, maybe one of, the, one of the fruits popped out. Which of those fruits do you need? Do you need more peace in your life? Do you need more joy in your life? Do you need some self-control? Maybe you, you don't have any control in a specific area in your life. Fruit is not just produced for other people to see. It's produced for us to eat. And we get that fruit. He, Jesus, I love this. Jesus in, in John 8, he says, you will, pro, you will produce much fruit when you abide in me. So what do you need? I just want to encourage you. We need to get into the word that way where we are abiding in it. And when, I promise you if, you, if you learn to get in the word every day for 15 to 30 minutes every day at the same time and maybe throughout the day, your week, you'll, you will have a different week than you had last week if you weren't doing those things. We have to abide in him. Last week, we learned that there is a war right now going on in our soul. And where is this war fought? It's fought in our mind. Who is going to control what you think? I'm going to read the passage in a second. But you have two people, whether you want to, whether you want to uh, accept it or not, there are two people who control what you think in your mind, God and the devil. And this is actually the battle that's happened since the beginning of time. If you remember Adam and Eve, I keep going back to this because this, this, is, this is the battle from the beginning. What did God tell Adam and Eve? Hey, I've created you. You're gonna, I'm going to put you on this planet Earth, and you're going to have dominion over everything. And the Bible actually says we were created in his image, so I'm, so I'm sure that God told Adam and Eve, hey, you're created in my image. But what does the serpent do? He comes along and says, did God truly say? He says, hey, did God truly say you can eat of all the fruit, fruit of, of the garden and of the earth except for one tree? And he begins to insert a lie. Hey, if you eat this one fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, then you'll become like God. You know what the lie was in, 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 um, in that statement? Satan said, they'll be like God. You'll be like God. The truth was they're already like God. They're already like him. They weren't God, but they were like him. They were, there was a paradise on earth, one, like the paradise we're going to see one day in heaven, they lived in perfection, but because Satan slid in and they didn't fight uh, the enemy's thoughts, they didn't go to the Lord, they didn't, they didn't have the Bible, they didn't go to the source of truth, they fell into a lie, and they became unlike God afterwards. So this battle has been from the beginning. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So even though we're, even though we're walking in, in, in this planet and we have disagreements with people and we have to figure out things, our battle is not really with somebody. It's with, it's, uh, we're, we're not waging war according to the flesh, verse 4, but we are, we're battling in the spirit. He says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. The weapons that we have are not physical weapons. They're not knives, they're not guns, they're not arguments. They're not uh, conniving. Those aren't the weapons that God has given us. The weapons God has given us are the word of God and prayer and, and obedience. I mentioned that uh, last week. But those are the two main ones, prayer and the word of God. The Bible says that the word of God is a sword of the spirit. What do we do with these weapons? We destroy strongholds. The next verse shows what the strongholds are. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. You know what these are? Arguments and lofty opinions, they're thoughts. Where do, you, where, do you, where do you make arguments in your mind? Where do, where do you have your opinions in your mind? The Bible says we use the word of God to destroy every argument and lofty thought that comes against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God? The word of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the battle. When we learn to take our thoughts captive by getting into God's word, 
reading it every day, memorizing it, I promise you, you will begin to, t- you will begin to win that war in your mind. This is how it's fought. And remember, I had that revelation last, uh, that I mentioned last week, how I really, um, I really felt that um, um, the enemy was kind of, he was getting at me, and I, I, I've told you that I, I talked to myself, I've talked to myself in the past, and like, Josh, don't think that, don't do that. And so, one day the enemy was just saying, hey, you're wasting your time doing this. You should be doing something more productive, like going to pray for somebody, preparing for a sermon, whatever. And I, and I thought, man, I've been, I've been fighting the enemy so long, and it's like, man, I'm just wasting my time. And then the Lord showed me, Josh, and he actually brought me to this passage. He said, Josh, you're actually fighting the battle. You think you should be fighting another battle, bigger battle somewhere else, but this is the real battle that you're supposed to fight. The enemy wants you to believe that you're wasting your time right now, but the truth is if you can conquer him in this battle, you'll have victory in every area. Look at this quote. It's a very famous quote. Uh, Many of y'all have heard it before, but I want to read it to you. It says, watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. What is it those start with? It starts with your thoughts. You see how these build on one another? If, you, if we learn to control our thought life, we control our destiny. That's the power of this battle, and the enemy knows that. You may not have connected the dots or realized it yet, but this is the only battle you will ever need to win. It's the only one. You will have victory in every other area of your life if you win the battle in this area. Why? Because this battle is about perspective. Are we going to see things from God's point of view? Are we going to see things from the devil's point of view? Think about the, think about the situation with the coronavirus. Everyone is, is, um, has been freaking out, have, have, have been you know, hoarding toilet paper, hoarding rice. I know us Hispanics, man, we've got to have a rice, and that's, even, that's worse than toilet paper sometimes. Um, but people have been freaking out. What has the enemy been saying? Hey, you better go hoard up. You don't know if the whole nation's going to be shut down for two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months. We don't know. See how the enemy lies to us and takes us captive. We look, when we look at it from the devil's point of view, we actually walk in bondage and we walk in fear and we can't live the life God wants us to live. But what does it look like to look, in, look at it from God's perspective? Hey, okay, yeah, okay, we're in a shutdown. We're, we're in this pandemic. Yeah, we probably need to go to the store and get a few things. But we're not going to lose our heads over this because ultimately the grocery store is not who provides for us. Our paycheck isn't the one who provides for us. Our employer, God, is the only one who provides for us. You see that? Uh, we, we look at things from God's point of view and not the enemy's point of view. And I thought this is interesting. You know why we see bondage when we look at things from the devil's point of view? This is really good. You know why we, look, why we see bondage when we look at it from fear and from doubt and hate and all these things? Because the devil, because, because that is the devil's perspective. The devil is facing an eternity in hell in bondage. When we see things from his point of view, we see bondage. We will naturally go that way because that's what the devil sees. That, so that's why he's trying to communicate it to us. But when we see things, we, we see freedom when we look at it from God's point of view. Because we're heading to a place where we'll be with him forever completely free. I don't know about you, but that's awesome. I, this past Friday, I, I shared a story about um, during a Good Friday service about how I was going through a divorce. And, and I, wanted to, I wanted to just share that again because I want to expose a lie that the enemy had me in bondage to. Remember, I was, I was looking at this specific um, area in my life through the devil's point of view. Did you know that you can look at a lot of things through God's point of view, but what God wants to do is, uh, is come into your life week to week, year to year, and, and, and show truth to you 
so that you begin to walk in freedom in every area, that's, that's actually what happens. We can know the truth. We can know God. Maybe you know Jesus right now, but there's probably an area that you're, that, that's a blind spot, and God wants to bring truth into that area so that you walk in freedom. And so there was an area in my life where I was walking in bondage. I remember um, when I was going through a divorce, I was married just like not, not even like eight months. And so I was going through it, and it was literally my like worst nightmare. I remember even thinking before I got married, you know, I remember saying to myself, I'm the last person that'll get divorced. I'm the last person. I'm not going to get divorced. And see how the enemy was already working in my mind? I'm the last person. I'm not going to go through this, whatever. Well, I later found out that I was walking in disobedience, and that's why I was going through everything that I was going through. And so I found myself in the middle of going through a divorce, and I was just, I was just devastated. You can talk to my family. I didn't go to church. Uh, which that is not like me. I never thought that would be me, but there was so much shame about me going through this because I, I came, grew up in a great family, didn't expect this to ever happen to me, but here I found myself. And so I remember one time thinking, man, well, plan A is gone, plan B is gone, plan C is gone. Maybe there's a, a plan D, E, or F or something. Maybe God has something like left over for me. And then I began to think, no, that can't be it. Like, and, and I began to try to justify the position that I found myself in. And so I came up with this imaginary scenario. I thought, well, what if my cousin were to get pregnant out of wedlock? That would be worse, right, God? That would be worse. And I was just, I was just like, I was trying to justify. I was trying to, because I thought, man, I, my, the plan for my life, well, God's plan for my life is over. And so I was trying to justify it. And I remember the Lord, he just spoke very clear, clearly to me. He said, Josh, you'd be just like her. And I can honestly say for the first time I realized how much of a sinner I was. And it's not that I thought that I was self-righteous, but you see the enemy, because I grew up in a great home, but what the enemy had done along the way is he had told me, yes, Josh, you keep doing the right thing. You got to do it, because if you don't do it, then um, you got you to you read the Bible, you got to pray. And if you, don't, if you don't do this well, then you know, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna get what God wants out of your life. And so along the way, I was actually walking in bondage. And after that one experience, I began to look back and I realized I was very guarded. I, was, I had a works mindset and I didn't realize it, but God was actually bringing me to the end of that in this divorce. And he said, and I, once I got the revelation, I, I, I had this thought, you know, God, I may not be able to... Uh, I, can, I think I can sit down with anyone, and I may not be able to identify with the sin that, that they've done. Maybe they've lied, maybe they've cheated, maybe they've killed somebody, but I can say right now, God, I know how they feel. And, I, and from that moment on, I was released from the lie that I was righteous by my own works. And it's amazing how God can still meet you at the lowest point of your life and help you understand it's not your ability, it's not your strength, it's my strength. And so the Lord opened up my eyes to that lie. But you see how that lie, uh, he mixed it with truth. He mixed it along the way, making me think that I was righteous because of my, own, of my own works. And it brought me to this place where I was justifying what I was going through. But when Jesus spoke truth, he set me free. That is the power of the truth. And I can tell you from since then, I've been, I'm, having, I'm not really guarded. I share my life with people. And I'm like, Josh, you're saying too much sometimes. But that's the freedom that God has given me because I'm not... He, God doesn't judge me by my works. He judges me, hey, do I want to serve him? Do I want to look to him? And so our level of commitment to knowing God's truth will be the level of freedom we walk in. How committed are you to truth? How committed are you to the word of God? Is it something that you do, oh, once I, once I get up in the morning, do my makeup, once I get the kids ready, then I'll read the word. If you have that level of commitment, life is too busy. You'll never get to this point. And so I want to encourage you, commit to the word of God. Amen? So Easter 
the reason we celebrate Easter, and, a few, and some of the worship team and even Elsa mentioned this, the reason we celebrate Easter is it's because it's the day after Jesus, it's the two days after Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead two days after he was crucified and put in the tomb. He rose. Now, why is that important? I want to, I want to kind of set this up because I'm going to talk about a specific, specific aspect of Jesus' life. Why is it important that Jesus rose from the dead? Anybody ever wondered that? Okay, yeah, he rose from the dead, but why is that important? This is why it's important, because it proved that he does indeed have power over death, hell, and the grave. And if he can overcome death, hell, and the grave, we can too. Look at Hebrews, 12, uh, Hebrews 2, verse 14. It just explains what Jesus did. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Hold it right there. Only by him being a human being made like us, conquering temptation, could he break the power of the devil and who had the power of death. Verse 15. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. This is the reason he came to die on the cross. Not just so that we could spend eternity with him, but so that he could take the fear away of us dying and not knowing what's going to happen. You see, the people who don't know Jesus, they have this fear. Maybe they, maybe they just don't care, which to me, that's very hard to, to believe how you could just not care what happens after you die. But for many people who don't know Jesus, there is this real fear. The reason why it's important that Jesus rose from the dead is because if he rose from the dead, if we put our faith and trust in him, and it, he says that he's gone to prepare a place for us, then if we put our faith and trust in him, we're going to raise from the dead one day and join him in paradise. That's why it's important that he rose from the dead. If there's no life after death, then hope dies. There's no hope, and hope is the thing that carries us through this life. Now, I was praying about this weekend message. Uh, it is Easter. Typically, we, we talk about the Easter story. A lot of churches do, and, and I know we have in the past. But I felt like we needed to talk about the Easter story a little bit, but look at it from a different aspect. I want to talk about a, a powerful a thing in Jesus' life that gave him the strength to go all the way to the cross. Now, I mentioned this at Good Friday. I really encourage you. I'm not going to talk a lot. I'm not going to really talk about the cross this morning. But if you want to go to get a good mental picture of what happened on that day many, many uh, years ago, go watch The Passion of the Christ. Uh, from what I understand, it is a very accurate description of what Jesus endured from the garden, before the garden, and all the way uh, as he went through the different trials on the road, excuse me, on the road uh, to, uh, to the cross. And so that is a great opportunity uh, to uh, the Passion of the Christ, to watch what actually happened. The reason I want you to watch that is in, in, in connection with the service is because we're going to talk about this morning, what Jesus did gave him the power to do that. And if we can do the same thing, then we can have the power to go through anything. And I really believe that what Jesus did um, gave him the power to do that. This is the reason I believe he was able to go to the cross, because Jesus was completely surrendered to his Father's will. I believe that this is the reason they had the power to do it. We're going to talk about surrender this morning. And so uh, the title of this second part of the message is Surrendered. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 5. I'm going to, I'm going to show you just what Jesus actually said when he came to earth. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings because they had had that. If you remember in the Old Testament, the, uh, the Passover was, was put in place 
to symbolize what was to come. What was the Passover? It's when the Jewish people would take a spotless lamb, kill it, put the, uh, and, and remember. And the first time they did it, they put the blood on their doorposts so that the angel of death passed over. But they continued to do it every year to remember what Jesus did for them in Egypt and to also celebrate what was to come. Jesus was the, the lamb of the world, and he was died for us uh, so that we could have eternal life with him. He said, so he said, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, what we had had for thousands of years, but you have given me a body to offer. Verse 6. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Verse 7. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. Jesus said, I've come to do your will. So we see here in many other places that Jesus did not come to establish his earthly kingdom this first time here on earth, but he came to watch the Father, to listen to the Father and say, Lord, say, Father, I'm not going to do anything you don't want me to do. I'm going to live completely in surrenderance to what you want for my life. Now, how many, how many of you wish your kids would say that? Father, mother, I'm going to do whatever you want from now on. Jesus was just an amazing, just an amazing example of, of, of a son. And I, I, I was actually on a trip recently, and as I was thinking about uh, this part of the message, this story came to my mind. I went on a trip recently, and I was with um, this little boy, uh, and he, he was like five years old, six years old. And we were playing a game, and we're, we played games a lot while we were in that, in that cabin. And he, sa- and, he, and he gave me this uh, proposition. He said, okay, Josh, if you win the game, I'll do whatever you want me, to, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But if I win the game, I'll be the boss. And I thought, man, okay, this kid's like five, six years old, but he already understands this concept of being, of wanting to be the boss. And why is that? Because he has parents who tell him all the time what to do. And so I, and I think, um, I think that God puts that in our kids um, so that, first of all, they are going to take control of their life at some point, but he wants, he wants um, God puts parents in our life to teach our children obedience and submission because if you let your child do whatever they wanted, they probably wouldn't make it very long, right? They, they probably would pass out or maybe get hit by a car or something. And so this is why our kids can't make the decisions. This is what Jesus said. He gave us the example. He said, I'm going to surrender to you, Father. Even though he was God, even though he was 100% God, and he could have done whatever, he said, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to be an example to the people who are going to come after me. We also don't know that Jesus was surrendered because he prayed in the garden. Now, when you think about surrender, you don't usually think about it as it being a good thing. For many of us, we see it as a sign of weakness, right? A sign that we need help. And we usually don't surrender, depending on the situation, we don't surrender because we're fearful of what might happen if we do surrender. Is that right? We, we, um, the, the, this coronavirus, many of us have not surrendered to the Lord and trusting him because we don't know if we can really trust the Lord. Hey, I got to go stock up on these things, or I got to make sure this is taken care of or that is taken care of. We fight instead of surrender because we're fearful of what might happen. See how that spirit of fear works and how the enemy's trying to lie to us and say we're not going to be okay? The truth is we are going to be okay. But when we fight and we, when we don't surrender and we fight back, it's because we're fearful. Now, what are some scenarios where people have surrendered? Well, um, throughout the course of time, there have been wars. There have been uh, countries who have fought against countries, empires against empires, you know, if somebody's running from the police, they'll fight the police so they don't get caught because they're scared of the consequences. Maybe uh, they, they have been in trouble in the past and if they get caught again, they're going to spend a lot of time in jail or prison. Or, and maybe another scenario is when you're, when you're um, playing a game with somebody and 
Maybe when you, I thought of this, just um, I thought of this scenario. If you're wrestling with somebody and they say, "Hey, give in, give in," or say, "Uncle," we used to say that a lot growing up. Say, "Uncle," or "Give in," and you're like, "No, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that." I, I, those are a couple of uh, things that I thought of. What happens when you surrender? You lose your rights. Is that right? So if you if you were if we were to fight another country and we were to lose to them, then we would lose our rights, and they would be able to tell us what to do. Same uh, same thing with the police. You lose your rights. Now, when we surrender, we do lose our rights. But I want, I want to explain it a little bit differently. I think it's going to give us some, some really amazing insight into what Jesus actually did. When you surrender to someone, you come under that person's authority. And that's actually the definition of surrender. I don't know if we have that on the screens. Uh, but surrender means this. I don't know if you have it. It's a, it means cease, cease resistant, to cease uh, resistance to an enemy or opponent and submit to their authority. This is the definition of surrendering, to stop fighting your enemy or somebody who's coming against you and submit to their authority. Now, and it sounds, this sounds weird, but I want you to, I want you to uh, just bear with me. When you come under the authority of someone else, when you surrender to somebody else, you actually get authority. You, act, you get what is ever given to you. Now, we talked about parents and children. If children surrender to the parents' authority and they do it really well, parents, how much authority and responsibilities and privileges will you give them? You'll give them, you'll give them more than maybe the other, the other the kid that rebels, right? When you come under someone else's authority, you actually get authority. And going back to the country analogy, depending on who, who invaded who, some countries, uh, some empires would invade countries and they wouldn't make them slaves. They would just make them another province in their empire. Some countries would enslave another country and kill everybody. So it just depends what kind of authority that you receive. Now, I want to I read a story in the Bible that illustrates this principle. Look at Matthew 8, verses 5 through 10 and verse 13. This is the story of Jesus and a Roman, uh, Roman official, a Roman centurion, who was a high-ranking official in the Roman ar- army. So there's a story that talks about how they were talking with one another. It says, talking about Jesus, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. He, so he, he wanted to ask Jesus to do something for him. Verse 6, Lord, my sermon is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Verse 7, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Hold it right there. The centurion came to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, I have this, I have, um, this servant who is a faithful servant. He's been really good to me. I've heard that you heal people. I hear that you could do miracles. Would, would you heal him? Would you do something for him? And Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. Verse 8, but the centurion stops him. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word. He said, I know that you have the power just to speak the word, and he and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, then this, this is where it gets interesting. For I too am a man under authority. Pay attention to that. With soldiers under me, and I say to me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him. This is one of the only, one of, one or two times, I believe, where Jesus says this about somebody. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And then verse 13, we don't have to read it. But it talks, uh, um, it talk, it's, he says, um, the centurion uh, 
And, and Jesus said to the Terran, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. The moment that Jesus spoke the words, his servant was healed. The centurion realized that Jesus had the power, had the authority that he had because he didn't get it from himself. He actually got it from his father. Why? Because he surrendered to the father. How did he know this? Because the centurion also was surrendered to his superiors who were uh, surrendered and submitted to their superiors and they were eventually submitted to Caesar. Therefore, he had authority given to him and he had given soldiers who told him where to go. He could, he could tell them, hey, come over here and do this or go and do that. He understood that when you come under authority, you get authority. That's the whole moral of this story. When, when, you, when you surrender to somebody, you get authority. When you come under someone's authority, you get authority. Now, hopefully you, you've put it together, but you might be still asking, all right, Josh, what are you trying to say with this authority stuff and coming on authority and getting authority? I really believe that people don't surrender to Jesus because they think they're losing authority in their life. They think, oh, serving Jesus is boring. I'm not going to be able to do this and that, and I'm not going to be able to, you know, spend time at the lake, on the golf course, this and that. And and we believe all these things. They're actually lies. The truth is, nothing can be further from the truth that you are losing something. That's another lie from the enemy. That if, you, if I give my life to Jesus, then my, my life of fun is over. The, quite the contrary. The opposite is true. When you come to Jesus, the Bible says you actually receive power. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power to do what? To do miracles, to do signs and wonders, to see fruit come up in your life, to have peace, to have joy, to taste of that fruit that we talked about earlier. How many of you need peace and joy? How many of you need uh, uh, self-control in your life? That only comes when we surrender to Jesus, come under his authority, and he will give out his spirit to us. He promises that in Acts 1. Yes, when we, when it come, when, yes, when we come to Jesus, we have to give up our rights, but Jesus isn't an enemy who hates you. Who, wants to ha- who has a bad plan for your life, the way that these other countries have had bad plans for the countries they've invaded. Jesus is a good father. He loves you. And when you surrender to him, you come under his authority, and therefore you come under his protection and his blessings. Listen to this carefully. However much you get under Jesus' authority will determine how much authority he gives you. That is the power of surrendering to him. Many of you may be saved, and I believe most of us are. But the truth is, there are some places in our life where we have not surrendered to the Lord. And this is actually the Christian life where as we're walking, we're spending time with him, Jesus lovingly says, hey, um, hey, Josh, I know you love me, and you're doing but this one area, you're not loving your brother very well. Hey, you're not, you're not representing me very well at the gym. Hey, you're, you're talking that way, that's not, that's not edifying yourself, and that's not glorifying me. Along this path called life, this Christian life, Jesus will approach us and say, hey, I need you to surrender this thing to me. So surrendering is not just a one-time thing. It's something that we do as a process. The truth is there is weakness and defeat in fighting, but there's power, strength, and victory in surrender. There's a power, victory, strength, and surrender when we surrender to him. And I just want to say this one more time. And you might ask the Lord to uh, examine your heart right now. But any place that you don't surrender to him, you don't have authority in. Some of you are struggling in your marriages and you're trying to make it work and you've been fighting with your spouse, but you haven't surrendered it to the Lord. Can I just tell you, you don't have any authority. 
Maybe you're fighting with your boss, and maybe they are treating you unfairly. Maybe they're, they're playing favorites with, with, other, uh, with your other coworkers, this and that, but you've been fighting, you've been trying to fight for your rights. The Bible says when you surrender to authority, and the Bible actually says that when we surrender to authority, we're actually surrendering to him, uh, Romans 13, 1 and 2. When you surrender to the authority, love them and take the suffering, take the unfair treatment, the Bible actually says you get authority. And God will supernaturally give you authority in those areas. But if you are not, if you do not surrender those things to him, you won't have any authority. Paul understood this in Philippians 3. You see, I'm going to read from verse 7 in just a second. But Paul, there were people who were telling Paul that he wasn't an apostle. They were, they were, they were telling him that, that he wasn't because, and I, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but because he was suffering and he was uh, going through these things that he wasn't an apostle. And so Paul, in the verses before verse 7, begins to say, hey, I was born uh, of the highest tribe um, um, in, in, in Israel. I was, was, I was taught by the best teachers. He says, there's anyone who has room to boast. I have room to boast. But then he, but then he says this, verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, whatever I'd accomplished in my life, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I have, what he's saying is I have surrendered all that I've accomplished, all that I will accomplish. Why? So that I might know Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the unfair treatment that we just talked about, the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Skip down to verse 10. Why are we doing this? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What is Paul saying? He's saying, yes, I, I can boast about these things. I can hold on to my accomplishments and, and put that in people's face whenever they question me. But I'm going to let that all go wide so that I'll know Jesus. And what is the end result of surrendering and knowing to Jesus? He says it in verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Did you know you will only experience the resurrection that you need in these different areas of your life when you surrender to Jesus? When you give those things up that you're holding on to and say, God, I give up. Yes, I was holding on to this as my identity. I was holding on uh, to this accomplishment that I have, but I'm giving it all up. I don't want to be identified. I don't want that to be my identity. I want my identity to be found in Christ. When we learn to do that, he, uh, Paul says, I want to do that so, I may, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is why we surrender. This is why we come under authority. I know the world wants to tell us, no, don't do that. You're wasting your time. No, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. I have lived a life thinking I was surrendered to him, but I wasn't. And I experienced a lot of pain. The last few years, the Lord has literally brought me to my knees in many different areas of my life. And I, I personally am experiencing more peace and joy than I ever, ever have. There is power, victory, strength in surrendering to him. And every time you surrender to Jesus, he gives you something. I just want to end with this story. Um, it's a story about money. I don't want you to focus on that, but I, I, it's a story about surrendering something to him and then God giving me, giving me something. Again, every time, whenever you surrender things to the Lord, he gives you things in return. And he gives us authority. So um, a while back, the Lord, I was, I was praying, many of us, minding our own business, and the Lord shook me. 
And he said, um, Josh, he put somebody in my mind, and he says, Josh, I want you to give that person $1,000. And I was like, and I, at first I'm like, maybe he accidentally added a zero or something, but no, that may be $100. Um, but for a few days, this person was on my mind, and that number just became more engraved in my mind. And I thought, $1,000, that's a lot. That's a lot, for, that's a lot for anybody. I was like, $1,000? Man, I've never given anybody that much money. And I was like, Lord, I just... No, and I just kept going, and, I, and he just began to reveal to me, what have I blessed you with? Do you want me to stop giving you those blessings? I was like, no, Lord. And so I was like, all right. And, and I want to just encourage you. God will, uh, will not, he'll ask you to do things that are hard, but he won't ask you to do things that are impossible. And so uh, apparently that was possible for me. And so um, I met up with um, my, this guy that the Lord put on my mind, and I handed it to him, and I said, hey, you know, the Lord put you on my heart, and here you go. And so in that moment, I surrendered the money to him, that money that I could have used for bills, for, for some things that I wanted. Again, talking about surrendering, things that I wanted, I surrendered it to him. Not two weeks later, another friend of mine called me and says, hey, I want to meet up with you. I was like, okay, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, I just, I just want to meet up with you. And they met up with me and basically just encouraged me and said, you're doing a great job in, in what God has called you to do and want to bless you with this. They gave me over $3,000 in less than a few weeks. And the Lord re- reminded me and he said, Josh, remember I told you to surrender that? He said, every time you surrender to me, I'll always give you something back and it's usually better. Now, I'm not saying that you, for you to give money to people so you get money in return. Maybe um, God will lead me or one of you to give money to somebody or uh, something monetarily to somebody, and he'll bless you in other ways. There are much greater blessings than money. But I, I want to just tell you that story as an illustration that when you surrender to the Lord's will, he'll always, always give something to you in return. Authority, power over the enemy in your life. Amen.